On this episode of Go Check Yourself, we discuss Chuck, Season 3, Episode 14, Chuck versus the Honeymooners, which takes place on a train. Am I on a train right now? I don't know. I could be. You'll never know. Chris knows more about trains than I do, but I have something he doesn't, which is train facts for kids pulled up on my computer. And before we start the episode, I'm going to read a couple to you. Did you know that trains are built to transport passengers or cargo along rail tracks? Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. If you didn't, that's fine. Trains can be powered by a variety of energy sources, including steam, diesel, and electricity. And early trains relied on ropes, horses, or gravity. Did you also know that you can take a train from Paris to Switzerland and that you might stop in the town Pontoon, much like Chuck and Sarah in this episode? You'll find out if you can actually do that by listening before you do that. I just wanted to let you know that you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at GoChuckPodcast, or you can email us at GoChuckYourselfPodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to see you on our followers list. Thanks for listening, and here we go! y'all you're listening to go chuck yourself my name is chris charles my name is aaron charles and we're just a couple of tourists from texas here in the the go chuck yourself studio we're just having the the best time here exploring exploring all things pertaining to chuck i'm a little tipsy oh she is a little tipsy you better not uh go stumbling into anyone else's hotel train room cars not really what know what to describe that as i guess they're just sleeping cars yeah. And yes, we are going to do the whole episode like this. So buckle up because it's going to be miserable. It's going to be a bumpy ride. All aboard. Choo choo. Anyhow, thank you for listening. I'm glad that you're here. That was crazy. Uh, it was a little homage to Sarah's uh, performance in this particular episode of Chuck that we were discussing, which is uh, season three, episode 14, Chuck versus the Honeymooners. And the Honeymooners in this case are... A ill-conceived couple of covers that Sarah and Chuck come up with known as the Charles. So that leaves Chuck's name being Charles Charles. And uh, that is one of the many delightful moments in this particular I, episode. I, excuse me. I think you mean the, the Charles is. Char- Charles is. Charles is. Charles is. is, is. Charles <laughs> Just a, a zzz. Yeah. Charles. Charles. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be impressed by Yvonne Strahovski acting. Doing an, a fake accent on top of her already fake American accent. Yeah, it was incredible. I remember being, like, when I first saw this episode, I remember this distinctly, that I was, like, super impressed by, like, her fake Texan accent. Like, I thought I thought this whole thing was so cute. And, it, like, it is, mm-hmm. it is really cute. But, like, I remember this being, like, I was like, oh, I remember this scene being, like, the pinnacle of my truck-watching experience. And then, I, I mean... <laughs> It was it was good. I don't know. Maybe it is still the pinnacle of my truck watching experience. It seemed that Zachary Levi did not commit to the the Southern impression as much as Yvonne. <laughs> he did sounded a little bit scene. like he sounded like he was from like a different region. Like she sounded like she was trying to do like Texas and he sounded more like maybe like Georgia. Oh, OK. Let's ask our Georgia listeners if uh, Zachary Levi's impression is better if you imagine it as a Georgia impression. I wonder if he has a, a Texas accent now that I believe that his he lives in Texas. It seems that he's spending the quarantine times in, in, Texas? in his ranch in Texas. He has a ranch yeah, I think in that Texas? was what I read. Yeah, I think he's got like a compound, which is I, th- I think is the language that was written in the the, uh, the People magazine article that I read. Okay. But I could be wrong. All right, it's like Zach. some kind of artist community in Texas. Okay. So do with that information what you will. Um, I feel as if it's just so... It's so bizarre that people use those kinds of southern accents that I feel like they're kind of low hanging fruit for people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's not really you and I did not are not from the south. We did not grow up in the south. We do not have those accents. So we don't really have to. I mean, you're from Massachusetts, so you kind of have to worry about people doing a caricature of you with a Boston accent. Yes. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know. I just feel like I you don't really hear the people from the south on TV going and doing like a New Hampshire New England accent? accents. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right. Or like Yeah, no, I mean I guess you're right. I have I believe that it's easier to mimic for like people like 
British people and Australian people, I feel like it's easier to mimic a Southern accent, like when you're trying to take mm -hmm. on an American accent, just because it's like exaggerated enough. Like, so you have somewhere instead of like taking all the like upward lilts out, you add something in. It's not just like getting rid of. So I don't know. I don't know the reasons for this, Chris. I don't know. <laughs> just shut up. Linguistics is one of the many things that we talk about here at Go Chuck Yourself. I think that it maybe this could be interesting because maybe there's someone who listens to this from a different part of the world, different part of the country, and they like hear us having thick accents that we do not detect because we're inside. Well, of definitely, it, so for sure. Like we do have American accents. Yes. Well, I meant specifically within America, like oh, a like subset a, of the American yeah. accent. We have the mid-Atlantic. I don't I think that's a thing. I guess so. The television broadcaster, no, no accent. What is it called? Do you say? Is that do you say wicked? Is that a New Hampshire thing as well? It is, yes. Because you're you're the same distance from Boston that I am or that I was. It's true. So I did. Yeah, we. Yeah, have, I, I don't think we've said wicked enough on this podcast. We should make a concentrated effort to represent our home state. Be more. <laughs> be more geared to uh, mass holes listening. Yeah, yeah. And what yeah. what's the term for New Hampshire's New, New Hampshire ites? Uh, New Hampshire rednecks. No. <laughs> okay. New Hampshire rights, I guess, would be the the actual. I just remember term. Connecticut is Connecticution, and I always thought that was kind of creepy. Because <laughs> it sounds like execution. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so on that note, <laughs> someone from Maine is a Mainer, and then a Vermont. Someone from Vermont is a Vermonter. Yeah. So. What? And Massachusetts, like, I mean, we say mass holes, but I think it's Massachusetts, Massachusettsian. Yeah, no, that doesn't sound right. If you're someone who's <laughs> not familiar with Massachusetts, the phrase mass hole is uh, <laughs> it is an abbreviation of the phrase Massachusetts asshole. And it condenses it into one very brief, succinct expression. And you really need these kinds of things when you live near or around Massachusetts, because when you encounter these people, you say the phrase Massachusetts asshole so often <laughs> that you really the economy of words, you save a lot of time when you just condense it into masshole. Linguistics. So anyhow, now that everyone from Massachusetts has tuned out, I think we could probably start <laughs> the show. Yeah, great. So the episode starts with a mustached man on a train somewhere outside of Paris. He's walking down the hall with a knife that he's sharpening, but we come to discover that he is in fact a waiter with a trolley of food delivering said food to Chuck and Sarah in their train compartment sleepaway cabin thing. Sarah greets him at the door in a little negligee, and then Chuck joins her as Holiday by Vampire Weekend Plays. We get a cute montage of them accepting various meals until the waiter, who is literally listed on Amazon as Mustache Man, that's just his character's name, uh, he tells them that there's, there is a full dining car in case they ever want to, like, leave their room. At this point, the Amazon subtitles were not working, so I can't be sure what Chuck said, but I believe he says something along the lines of they're happier in the room. Uh, I assume he and Sarah are, you know, having sex. What? We, I mean, we don't see what they're doing, but I I think that's what we're led to believe. I had a very different interpretation. Oh, what did what did you think they were doing? I don't know. I figured they were just kind of sitting, having quiet time, just solemnly right, yeah. reflecting. Well, on... I mean, like, Sarah did almost just die. Chuck just did kill a man. So if they were... Yeah, like, they could just be grieving. That. They could yeah. be sitting and working through some stuff. Or if you're just a a sex-crazed lunatic like Aaron, then maybe you That's interpret me. this to be a, a sexual moment, sexual innuendo. I really like to imagine that this little montage took place like over a couple of hours instead of a couple of days, and they were just <laughs> ordering food over and over. I also, for some reason, I thought Mustache Man was Fred Armisen, or like was going to be. Like, I didn't think that it actually was, because it doesn't look like him at all, but when I saw him in the distance, I was like, oh yeah, that's Fred. He's going to be in this episode. Chuck needs more Fred Armisen. That would be I a, agree. a very strange combination. So after Chuck discovers Sarah doesn't have a favorite band, which I find to be way more like he's kind of like, oh, wow, you don't have a favorite band. That's weird. But I think that's like very depressing. Like Sarah hasn't had time for music. That's really sad. Do you think yeah. that's sad? Oh, I mean, she's more of a sex person, I guess. <laughs> I, I guess so. Much like me. Uh, they're going in for some more of their sex stuff when Chuck's phone rings. It says encrypted, but there's a picture of Beckman, so I have some questions about this. First of all, why is... if Like, usually when a phone number is encrypted, it doesn't have a picture associated with it, because that defeats the purpose of encrypted. Mm -hmm. Also, do you think Beckman is sending out this picture, or do you think Chuck has a picture of Beckman? And if so, where did he get it? 
Oh, that's a good point. You would have to yeah. set your own contact image, yeah. right? For someone calling you. And like, she contact. looks kind of angry. So did he just like take a picture of like the screen when she like called at some point or like, did he find it online? What do you think here? <laughs> Hopefully he didn't find it online. Unless she has a, <laughs> her LinkedIn page is General Beckman and it's just a yeah. photo of her in her office, maybe. We're not going to get an answer on that. But uh, Chuck and Sarah also don't give an answer to Beckman's call. Sarah points out that everyone, Beckman, Casey, Ellie, Devin, etc., expected them back in Burbank that day. I don't really know how long they've been on the train at this point, but I guess it's a little while. Sarah says it might be time for them to head back, but Chuck says that everyone else is moving forward with their lives, and if they do go back, Beckman might try to separate them. He proposes that they quit the spy life for real this time. Sarah agrees and throws their phone out the window. Ooh, <laughs> they're really on vacation now. There, whose phone was it? It was Chuck's phone, though, right? So now he just doesn't have a cell phone? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> so back in Burbank, Beckman appeals to Casey to help her find Chuck. Not in the usual spy way, but by using Chuck's best friend, Morgan, to get to him. Also, Ellie and Devin are packing for Africa, and Ellie is worried that Chuck won't be back from Buy More Corporate, which is where she thinks he is, in time for their going away party. Which, in fair, it's kind of like a big dick move of Chuck not to even tell her where he is. Like, before he threw his phone out the window, he could have texted her like, hey, I'm fine. Like, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know how long he's been gone, but like, is it weird that he hasn't texted her at all? Like... She just doesn't know where he is. He knows she gets stressed about him. Chuck, come on. Yes, I have I have more to say about the Chuck-Ellie relationship later on. I don't want to necessarily go into that conversation right now, but I do have right. thoughts about that. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, back on the train, Chuck and Sarah are finally eating in the dining car, and Mustache Man is happy to see them there. <laughs> Chuck tells him they're on their honeymoon, then wonders afterwards to Sarah if that was maybe overkill. Sarah points out that they are running away together, so maybe not. They start to plan their new life on the run, but then Sarah notices some men passing with guns, and Chuck ends up flashing on one of them. They're bad guys. Chuck and Sarah toast to not being spies, but both of them seem a little shifty. Sarah hides a knife, and Chuck sips his drink suspiciously. So, like, it seems like they're gonna be going after these bad guys, but they don't want the other one to know. At work, Casey asks Morgan if he's heard from Chuck. Morgan hasn't, but he does establish that Chuck has a Facebook account that he usually updates regularly, so that was information that I like to have. There's a rather delightful exchange where Casey tries to suggest to Morgan that Chuck and Sarah are off the grid having sex, much like I just tried to suggest to you, but Morgan doesn't get it, much like you. So you're you're the Morgan of this relationship. I'm the Casey, I guess. Yeah, I've always I've always felt like that. I haven't had the words to describe it, but now that mm -hmm. you frame it like that, I feel like that's really right. <laughs> Uh, one of uh, Casey's lines that I really like is um, Morgan says, Chuck's got the fate of the world resting in his hands. And Casey says, he's got something else resting in his hand. And I, I mean, I don't know. Does that mean like Sarah's breasts? Like, is that what is that what he's going for? What's resting in his hand, Chris? I don't know. <laughs> it was a good line, though. So Devin walks in wearing a prominently Lacoste shirt. I don't know. Like, it was just like very Lacoste. Did you notice this? <laughs> the little alligator. And it was like yeah. the brightest blue imaginable. Yes. The, a blue that is only as uh, the, the only the only thing that I can think of that is as blue as that shirt is Devin's eyes. That's what I was going to say. Yep, exactly. Casey asks if Devin knows where Chuck is. Devin asks Morgan the same thing. Morgan, Morgan explains that he's been tasked with locating Chuck, and Devin insists that Chuck be found before the going away party. So this is uh, shaping up to be one of Chris's favorite episodes of all time, because once the party is mentioned, Jeff and Lester appear out of the woodwork, offering their services as Jeffster. They disappear again before Devin can comprehend what has happened, but we do get up close and personal with this weird stock footage on the TV of a couple in silhouette kissing at sunset. Did you notice this? They had, like, the TV is, like, because now they've been having, like, unlike, like, Looney Tunes and, like, relevant footage, now they have just a picture of, like, a couple, like, you can't see their faces because they're in silhouette, but they're uh. up against the sunset and they're just, like, kissing for a really long time, like, in slow motion. Okay. That's just going on. Back on the train, Chuck and Sarah need to work on their communication skills. They both want to investigate the mysterious men, but they're also sort of hedging with each other. Chuck asks Sarah if he should ignore flashes, and she says that being out of the spy game is what he wants, right? They shut off the lights, then Sarah says she's going to leave the room and get some ice cream at the same time as Chuck says he's going to go get some air. Sarah puts on her robe over the negligee and no pants. Like, I thought it was a little weird. I feel like she could have put on 
like something else if she was going to be leaving their compartment. I don't know, but she's in she's in a robe. It's fine. She leaves to follow the men, which is pretty bold. Chuck stays behind for now. When she gets out of her room, Sarah uses a do not disturb door hanger thing. I don't know what those are called to break into the bad men's room. She discovers that they're terrorists and they have a book full of codes and names. But before she can figure out more, the door opens. So she runs to hide in the bathroom. Then Chuck comes into the room and goes through the suitcase, too. What a comedy of errors. <laughs> the real bad guys try to enter the room and Chuck tries to get in the bathroom, but it's locked because Sarah's in there. So he has to escape out the window. Meanwhile, the lead bad guy, Juan, says that people are after him. Just then, the toilet flushes and Sarah comes out of the bathroom pretending to be a drunk Texan who got her rooms mixed up. So, just like us at the beginning. She's, she's talking like that. She apologizes and charms the bad guys, and Juan says her husband is a very lucky man. And Sarah goes to get some ice cream for real and heads back to her room. Meanwhile, Chuck is on top of the train and luckily left his compartment window open. I kind of remember him shutting it, so I don't know what's why it's open. Or his room must be, like, really, really cold. He flashes on acrobatics and jumps back in there just as Sarah returns. They're about to go for bed. They're about to go to bed for real when Sarah admits where she really was and Chuck admits that he flashed on Juan. They agree to one last mission and they get super turned on by each other and they start to kiss again. In Castle, Morgan goads Casey for being too scared to ask for his help. Casey relents and Morgan does a whole kind of spy routine where he says that Chuck forgot his eggs and the cream in L.A. I don't know. So he finds out when and where there. Yes, apparently they share one. Dermatologist sent Chuck's eczema prescription. Then he checks security footage of the nearby train station newsstand because he knows Chuck would have gone there for the latest issue of Justice League. I don't like I mean, I guess uh, they get a shot of Chuck and he's conveniently holding his train ticket in full view of the security camera as he reads. So they zoom in on that and learn that Chuck and Sarah are on a train to Zurich. Casey tells Morgan to pack his bags, and Morgan is excited at the idea of flying to Europe first class. Also, I will note here that I asked my boyfriend what comic it seemed that Chuck was reading, and he thought that it looked fake. Whoa. Whoa. But my suspicion, because it was like the back cover of a comic, so I want to say it was like an ad for Munchkin, because it looked like kind of like renaissance people, and there was like a little troll. I don't know, I spent a lot of time looking at this. Trying to figure out what it was. It was not Justice League. As Morgan readies himself for a Chuck versus First Class kind of experience, uh, he is disappointed to find out that he's really in a Chuck versus the other guy kind of experience in that he and Casey are once again flying coach like Casey and Chuck did in the last episode. Which brings me to uh, a message that we have from our sponsor, Millennium Airlines. We'll give you <laughs> 2,000 reasons to travel. Now, I realize that a millennium is a thousand years and not 2,000, but you get the joke. Um, is that a is this a real a real flight thing? Are you Millennium Airlines? A joke this whole, yeah, is that real? Yeah, you think we would have a fake sponsor? Of course, it's real. Oh, you're right. Okay, sorry, sorry, Millennium Airlines, our very real sponsor, our very real corporate overlords. Why two K not? Uh, anyhow, it turns out that Morgan is afraid of flying and will not sleep on the flight because he believes that he needs to stay awake in order to uh, will the plane to stay into the air. I thought this was very relatable. That's how I feel as well. Really? Yeah. And is I, this not normal? No, I I think it is probably normal. I mean, I know a lot of people have different superstitions about flying and a lot of people are mm. afraid of flying and kind of mm. uh, use little, little um, like rituals and things mm -hmm. like that. But... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's what you do. You believe that you control the airline, the airplane that you're in at any given time. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, but I mean, I would say it extends to everything like uh, driving when I'm in a car. I feel it extends to that. Well, I mean, um, that, that is kind of different because you might be controlling I might be the actually car. driving. So Correct. if I so went if you, to sleep, it would be bad. <laughs> if you feel responsible for the car <laughs> while you're driving, I'd say that's a pretty normal feeling to have. Yeah. But I, th I thought this was like kind of endearing of Morgan. And I think it speaks to some like potential like mental health anxiety issues that we haven't really seen from him uh, that I thought like kind of added a nice uh, layer to his character. Yes. And there was a lot this episode that I feel like it felt like stuff that would normally be cut sort of like I feel like that kind of joke like didn't really have anything to do with the plot and didn't really like. I don't know. They didn't really it didn't feel like they needed that. But like, I thought it was just like kind of charming, extraneous information like that didn't really relate to Chuck in any way. But just that Morgan feels he's holding up the plane. I like that. Well, I think it implies that Morgan is now going to have all this free time to read his travel book, which 
he helps him become an expert in the European geography, which comes okay, in that's later. Fair. But I guess okay. this, this is a scenario where I'm the Casey because I think that Morgan is full of bullshit and uh, Casey puts in his headphones and goes to sleep while Morgan stays up and reads his guidebook, keeping the plane afloat for all of the passengers riding Millennium Airlines. Thank you, uh, Morgan. Meanwhile, back on the Carnal Pleasure Express, <laughs> Chuck and Sarah are having their morning tea and or coffee while trying to formulate a game plan to take down Juan. They think they can do it easy and easily enough, but Sarah points out that they left all of their official spy gear in Paris. So did they just like throw that stuff out or is the CIA <laughs> supposed to send someone back to pick it up? Were they going to go what? back and get like, it? What spy stuff did they have? Like guns? Where did they put the guns? Guns, knives, the stuff handcuffs. that they usually have in Castle. Handcuffs, pepper spray. If I, little... I feel like they should have took those handcuffs with them, if you know what I'm saying. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> well, lucky for you, they're going to find their own pair of handcuffs. Yeah, they will. We cut to a sequence where Chuck and Sarah steal things from the various other passengers in the dining car. Um, we saw these passengers earlier. It's kind of like a... Epcot World Pavilion sort of situation. Everyone is very is from different places and is wearing their nationality literally on their sleeve. Uh, there's some French skiers. Uh, there is a a Canadian woman. Yeah, there's uh, a Canadian woman. There, you for, you're forgetting the French punk rocker. Was he French? I thought I couldn't tell if he was French or German. I guess he could have been German. Uh, so there's a punk rocker and he has a pair of handcuffs dangling from like his belt. That's so pretty cool. Sarah and Chuck uh, work together to steal the handcuffs from this man. And do you know the the interesting thing about this man? Who? What? Did you encounter this? It? No. You did not know this? This punk rock musician is played by Tim Loden, who would go on to marry Yvonne Strahovski. Wow. Like, were they were they together? Did they meet on this episode or they were just like? I don't know. I am. Okay. I think it was something that I had seen said that they were married. And sure enough, they were. Yeah. I'd like to imagine that I don't know. I don't know if it's better. No, I don't to think they were together at this time. Okay. Um, I'd like to imagine that he was just like an extra, and they met, and she flirted with him, and then she just liked him. She just took a shine to him and his handcuffs. I guess so. Uh, so then Chuck also steals a uh, like a bottle of painkillers from the, the <laughs> from this poor injured woman. <laughs> this injured woman with a broken leg who you know definitely doesn't need those painkillers. I'm sure she'll be fine, Chuck. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, interesting fact, Zachary Levi would go on to marry this woman. No, that's not not true. Uh, back in their room, Chuck and Sarah get dressed for the evening and prepare to launch their plan against Juan. They share an intimate moment where Chuck puts on a ring, uh, puts a ring on Sarah's finger as part of their cover. I don't know where he got that. Maybe he stole it from the skier lady again. (laughs) I guess. Uh, he puts the ring on her finger and it's kind of awkward because I guess now they're thinking about marriage and... (laughs) Because they're they they just started dating and now they're they're just really having a good time. Well, they're together. running away together. It just kind of felt a little weird. Uh, Chuck says that he feels like he's forgetting something. Cut to Morgan and Casey boarding the train. Morgan is dressed like a Canadian tourist backpacking around Europe, while Casey is dressed normally and says that Morgan looks ridiculous. When the conductor asks for their boarding passes, Casey takes out his from his wallet while Morgan rummages around in his pants for his boarding pass, which he is keeping in his super secret pocket because he's concerned about pickpockets. So he was ruffling around his, his groin, his, his crotch area. Uh, this kind of, I think goes into your, your theory sort of that this was not something that you would think that the super secret pocket would come into play later in the episode, mm-hmm. but it really does not. Yeah. Um, so Morgan and Casey split up and they get onto two different cars to go look for Chuck and Sarah. In the dining car, Chuck and Sarah sit on the opposite end of the car from Juan and his men. Sarah, resuming her honeymooner uh, from Texas cover, brings Chuck over to meet Juan and the boys. Sarah tells Chuck that these were the men who she uh, she accidentally bumped into the other night and then proceeds to take out her digital camera to ask Juan to take a photo of her and Chuck. And then she knocks over a bottle of water on Juan's cheese platter. Sarah apologizes and Chuck offers to get Juan more water and a new cheese plate. Sarah sits down at the table blabbering about nothing while Chuck goes to the bar and slips some of the French skiers painkillers into the (laughs) new bottles of water. Back at Ellie and Devin's apartment, Ellie and Devin are setting up for their party in the plaza or the courtyard, I guess I should say, while Jeff and Lester do a sound check for their performance. Jeff plays one chord on his guitar and immediately blows out the amp. Ellie is pissed and Jeff and Lester tell her that it's not uh, it's nothing to worry about. Chuck should be able to fix it right away. 
to which Ellie gets upset and says that they don't need Chuck. Jeff and Lester are taken aback by this, but then Ellie composes herself and says that they will figure something else out. Jeff and Lester decide that this is the perfect time to go acoustic. So Lester tells Jeff to fetch their turtlenecks and Jeff runs off into the distance while Lester proceeds to chug a bottle of what he thinks is alcohol, but is really just lime juice. And he he's really chugging it. I did not know acoustic Jeffster was a thing. And I was like, what? What is happening? What is going on? This I did not recall this at all. My question is, why is Ellie letting this happen? Like, she seems pretty on board with, yeah, Jeffster's going to perform at our... Like, first of all, why does their going away party need, like, have or need a band? And also, why is, like, why is Devin or Ellie agreeing to it? Like, the like fool me once, like, they accidentally got Jeffster one time, that's fine. Fool me twice, it's on them. Like, they could have <laughs> said no. It's, at this point, they are just clearly fans of Jeffster. They I can't think so. deny it anymore. Yeah. I would posit this question to you. Why are they even throwing their own going away party at their home? <laughs> Well, yeah, that's a good point. I feel like somebody else should be throwing it for them. Is that what right. you mean? Like, kind of, like maybe Chuck? <laughs> right. Someone, if there was only someone who lived like that was close to them, who lived really nearby, that would be able to use that space, but also clean up afterwards so they can mm-hmm. really focus on uh, getting ready for. Yeah, I mean, I think and- that's fair. I think like, I mean, the concept of a going away party, I feel like you want to have like everybody that you love there. Like if you're going to be like, say, in Africa for a long time, you want to say goodbye to everybody. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's pretty bold that they're doing it like the day like they're leaving right after this party and they have to like host it, clean it up like everything. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's not really conveyed at all. But until the end, when you kind of have to do that mental math yourself, that you're like, wait a second, they were leaving for the airport after this party. (laughs) Anyhow, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Back on the dining car, Chuck brings Juan and his men three spiked bottles of water, and then he and Sarah go back to their table. As Chuck and Sarah watch Juan and his men consume the spiked water, or maybe Juan doesn't have any, it's just his men that do, uh, Chuck and Sarah kiss, and they say that they make a good team. As they embrace, Casey slowly sits down at their table. Sarah asks what Casey's doing there, and Casey says that he's there to prevent prevent them from doing something stupid, like turning this into a permanent vacation. Chuck explains that they are actually performing a mission to take down Juan and his men, and Sarah reveals the handcuffs hiding in her napkin. Casey turns and looks at Juan and sarcastically says that they look threatening. After he says this, Juan's men pass out and Juan gets up and leaves. As Chuck and Sarah watch Juan leave, Casey uses the handcuffs to cuff Chuck and Sarah together and asks if they take him for a chump. Chuck and Sarah apologize and then use their cuffed fists to punch Casey in the face and knock him out as they get up to chase after Juan. Quite a team. Elsewhere in the train, Morgan is walking through the coach section and encounters the Canadian passenger from before. He asks her if she's seen Casey, and she says, stay away from me or I'll cut you, and walks off. Just a, a normal Just exchange a normal between interaction. Yeah. two Canadians. Well, that was, that's like another thing, where it's like, I guess it's establishing that she's like a little bit dangerous, but that seemed like, like I haven't heard that kind of language in Chuck, like... Like, not that it's, like, bad language, but it was just, like, a weird kind of, like, joke moment. As Chuck and Sarah chase Juan, Juan uh, ducks into one of the sleeping compartments. Sarah chases him into the room, but then Juan slams the door shut, separating Chuck and Sarah, but not severing the handcuffs. So uh, Sarah is kind of, like, fixed against the wall, and Chuck is kind of fixed against the wall on the outside. Mm -hmm. Sarah and Juan have an intense fight scene. Uh, while Sarah is still cuffed to the wall and she does a badass job holding her own with literally one hand tied behind her back. I would expect nothing else. While other passengers walk down the aisle, giving Chuck dirty looks for being pressed up against the wall. Eventually the door gives way and Chuck falls into the room with Juan and Sarah. Casey sneaks up on them with his gun drawn and enters the room to see Chuck on top of Sarah with her legs open. Casey is incredulous that Chuck and Sarah made up a story about a terrorist to justify their European sex tour. But... (laughs) Chuck tells Casey that Juan is in the bathroom. Casey opens the bathroom door, and sure enough, there's Juan. Casey says hi to Juan and then shoots him with tranquilizers in the chest. Casey asks Chuck and Sarah what the hell is going on. As this happens, the train pulls into the station, and Juan runs out of the bathroom and the hotel room, uh, or the sleeping compartment, I guess. Turns out the tranks just hit the notebook full of codes he was keeping in his chest pocket. You should just always keep a notebook full of codes in your pocket. And... Another thing that doesn't really come up again. They don't really talk about the code book. It's not really super important. I guess it's just. No, it's just his the list of names that he has to share. (laughs) To share with whoever he meets. Yeah. 
Casey, Chuck, and Sarah chase after Juan through the train and literally bump into Morgan. After colliding with Morgan, Juan stumbles and falls off the train onto the train platform. Casey apprehends him, and Juan says, if you're going to kill me, just do it. And Morgan says that they're not going to kill him because they're the CIA. Chuck <gasps> tells Morgan that they shouldn't be telling people that they're the CIA. And then Juan asks, if you're the CIA, why did you just take out all of those Interpol agents on the train? Chuck and Sarah ask Juan to explain, and Juan says that he is a criminal that turned himself into Interpol because uh, they were going to take him somewhere where he could divulge the name of criminal leaders in exchange for immunity. Casey asks Chuck and Sarah if they got their mission from Beckman, and Sarah says that they were trying to do it under the radar. Morgan asks why they would do that, and Casey says, because they're quitting. Morgan <gasps> tells Chuck that he just can't quit his career as a spy, and Sarah says that she and Chuck have decided that they want to be together, and this is it for them. As soon as they hand over Hawan to the authorities, they're quitting. Here's a question. How are they going to get money? Does Sarah have, like, a huge amount of savings, or, like, are they just... Are they going to, like, become, like, buskers or something? Just get some, like, small jobs? I guess so. I guess they're just going to start over. I don't know where they're going to live. Unless they Somewhere have... that doesn't require, like, documents. But then, how are they going to pay for that? They're going to steal I, like, money? How did they get, like, how did they afford the train? Like, who paid for that? True. Because, like, Chuck, Chuck was upset about spending $100 at that spa, like, three episodes ago. Right. So now he has enough money for a train to Zurich? And they didn't use a credit card, because if they used a credit card, then presumably Beckman would be able to find them, or Casey would have mm -hmm. been able to find them, rather than yeah. having to get Morgan involved. On the other hand, Sarah does have all the skills from her dad, Gary Cole, about, mm -hmm. like, uh, like grifting, so maybe, maybe that's their plan. It is not established. Uh, as, no. So... As they, the group is kind of coming to terms with whatever this means for their plans and their lives, we see the Canadian passenger from before. Uh, did you jot down her name at all? No, I just call her the Bad oh. Canada Lady. All right. The Bad Canada Lady <laughs> <laughs> is walking along the train platform talking into a cell phone. She tells the operative on the other end of the line that somebody did her job for her. The Interpol agents are already neutralized. She tells them to meet her in whatever town they're in so they can ensure that Juan and his new friends don't escape. Oh, uh, the town is pon Pontoon, just pon just so you know. Pon pontoon? Pon 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 pontoon. In Switzerland? That's that's what the town's called. Okay. Pontoon. Later, so later on in this town that's called Pontoon. Not Pontoon. Like, it's not like Pontoon, like pon Pontoon Boat. It's like P-U-N-D-T-U-N. Pontoon. So like Poutine? It's, well, there, we're going to get more information about Pontoon later. All will become clear. Poutine's so good. I just think about poutine <laughs> I've now. never had poutine. Oh, uh, you're missing out. The Canadians, I know. they're doing it right. Yeah, but not bad Canada lady. She's not doing it right. She's doing, <laughs> She's it, doing it very it wrong. wrong. Do not, if you're going to, you know, model your life after a Canadian citizen, do not model it after bad Canada lady. Pick no, something else. model it after like Celine Dion. Yes. Uh, so later on in this town, in the city, uh, Chuck calls Beckman from a phone booth. Beckman can't believe that they just went after Juan without her permission and tells him that she will have Interpol send out a new team to pick up Juan. Beckman asks if Chuck, if Chuck thinks that they can meet with Interpol without assaulting them. And Chuck tells her that they didn't assault the previous Interpol agents. They just knocked them out with pharmaceutical grade narcotics, which he realizes doesn't sound much better. Beckman asks that they just keep Juan alive until Interpol arrives. And then once Juan is secure, the team needs to return to Burbank at once. At this point, Chuck and Beckman get disconnected because Chuck needs to insert another quarter because this is a, a phone booth after all. Sarah and Casey can't get another quarter, so Beckman hangs up on Chuck, pissed. Sarah asks what Beckman said, and Chuck says that they just have to stick around the city a little while longer. Cut to Chuck and Morgan sitting with Juan at a Swiss cafe. Morgan says that he can't believe Chuck is quitting, and Chuck says that it's not about what he's walking away from, it's about what he's walking towards. Ooh. Morgan says that he can't believe he's not going to say goodbye to Ellie, and Chuck says that Ellie is doing what she wants to do, and he's happy for her, which seemed like a weird level of emotional detachment for Chuck. <laughs> uh, although, I guess not unsurprising at this point. Yeah. Then we cut to Sarah and Casey sitting with Juan while Chuck and Morgan yeah, sit at the counter in the background. I was very confused about what was... Like, I liked the scene, like, cutting between them, but the fact that they were all sitting with Juan, was it like Sarah and Casey were, like, waiting elsewhere and then, like, then they came and sat down? Like, how did they plan these conversations? Yeah, were they... Were there only two conversations happening at once or were there multiple conversations happening? Were they constantly switching who was just sitting with Juan? <laughs> musical chairs! Maybe they were playing musical chairs. So... 
Casey grills Sarah about running away and Sarah defends her decision. We then have a series of quick cuts where Casey and Morgan pressure Sarah and Chuck respectively to rethink their decisions while Sarah and Chuck adamantly justify their rationale. Juan listens to all of this and asks if he can interject, but Sarah and Chuck tell him that he can't. Chuck and Sarah both think that the only way to be together is to run away and leave everything behind. So they're willing to do that, even though they each have their their own uh, reservations about it. Eventually, Casey tires of all this back and forth and tells Chuck and Sarah that they should leave before the next Interpol agents arrive. Juan suggests that they all sit down and share some nut cake and have open communication, but the team shuts this down right away. Chuck hugs It looked really good, that nut cake. It did. Looked pretty moist. Yeah. Chuck hugs Morgan goodbye and shakes Casey's hand to thank him. Casey tells Chuck and Sarah to get out of there and they exit the cafe in slow motion, never to be seen again. This is the end of the series. Chuck is over. Thank you for listening. It's been a wild ride. Anything is possible. Back in Burbank uh, at Ellie and Devin's party, Jeffster plays an acoustic rendition of Leaving on a Jet Plane by John Denver. Oh, I was wondering who that was by. Thanks for clarifying. As Devin records the performance with a camcorder, like he's (laughs) Jeffster's dad. Yeah. While while Ellie gets drunk in the audience like she's Jeffster's mom. (laughs) We hear the sounds of Jeffster as Chuck and Sarah walk hand in hand down the train platform. Chuck says, how, this will be- how do you feel about this Jeffster performance? Were you still lukewarm or were you red hot? Can't believe I'm saying this, but I did not mind this. <gasps> so you just like you just like their acoustic sound. You don't like their like <laughs> when they're like heavy rockers. You just want like a little bit more like a chill Jeffster experience. You right, want to like pour a glass of wine and like relax with some Jeffster. I don't. That's taking a lot of liberties. I don't think I've said that I would want to <laughs> do that necessarily. But I was like, I am surprised that this is not bothering me more than I thought it would. <laughs> did you see Jesse Hyman in this scene? Because I did not. I He could have been there, but I did not see him at this. No, party. I don't think because it was just Ellie and Devin's friends. I don't oh, think that's a good point. Fernando would be included in that. Okay, That's fair. Unfortunately, though. So Chuck and Sarah are talking on the train platform. Chuck says that it'll be hard to leave and go somewhere different because he's never lived anywhere besides california and sarah says that she's lived all over the world but burbank is the only place that has felt like home maybe because she went to high school not too far from burbank (laughs) in san diego after jeffster concludes their performance as uh simon and garfunkel or i guess (laughs) jeff jeffston and and uh nope left left funkel left funkel (laughs) jeff jeffston and left funkel uh they invite Ellie and Devin to the stage to say a few words to all of their guests. My question here is, uh, why is the train just waiting there? Like, trains usually don't stop for that long. They did a lot. Is this a new train in Zurich or in, in Puntoon? Or is this, like, the same train that just, like, stopped for, like, 50 minutes? Do they have to refuel? Like, what's going on here? I think we're led to believe that it's the same train, even though it's uh-huh. confusing because you the experience that we have with trains. I've never been on a train like this necessarily, but Uh the Amtrak train makes very quick stops and is constantly moving. Um, Yeah. I've been on a a train from London to Paris and I want to say that there was like, there might've been stops in between, but it's not like. You went underwater? Yeah. Oh. Hell yeah. Along the French countryside. It was great. I don't know, like, but I usually if there is a train stop, it is like they stop, people get on and then they go like they don't just wait for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, like maybe maybe it could be that it was refueling. Like maybe that's that's the only explanation I have. Because if it's a different train, then Sarah and Chuck just lost all of their luggage that they yep. probably have. But then again, I'm like, do they have luggage? Because we don't see that. at well, all. Well, Sarah is wearing the same negligee the whole episode, so maybe they don't. <laughs> <laughs> they just brought lingerie and that's it. <laughs> so in the cafe, two dudes show up to take one. Morgan questions them about Lake Como, which is where they say they're from, and accidentally stumbles onto the fact that they don't know anything about Lake Como and its trivia. That leads to Ka- that leads Casey to draw his gun suspiciously. Then the two guards and the bad Canada lady show up and draw their guns, and then there's a standoff. We go back to Chuck and Sarah, who are taking off their fake wedding rings, which, again, I still don't know where they like, where did they get these? Why does Chuck have one now? Like, I don't remember Chuck having one. I just remember Sarah having one. I don't know. But they're preparing to board the train. Chuck checks in that this is really what Sarah wants. And she admits that she always thought it had to be one way or the other. But maybe before she can finish, 
the Interpol guard guys from the train come up and handcuff them, like the guys that they knocked out before. Um, did they handcuff them, like, to one another, wrist to wrist again? Which seems like it's kind of dangerous. Like, I feel like they should just, like, have two separate pairs of handcuffs. That's usually what happens. I feel like it's more debilitating that way, but they don't do that. They say the replacement Interpol agents who were sent to collect Juan were just found dead, and they think that Chuck and Sarah are the ones who did it. Chuck and Sarah realize that Morgan and Casey are in danger, so they coordinate a punch to the Interpol guys, knocking them both out. Wouldn't have happened if they weren't so stingy with their handcuffs. And Chuck sees a moped, and I can't wait to see how they drive that one-handed. <laughs> in the cafe, the bad Canada lady is torturing Juan to find out what he told Interpol. Meanwhile, Chuck and Sarah are not disappointing with the weird way they're riding the moped. Sarah is, like, side-saddle straddling Chuck, and he's driving it. They approach the cafe and very evidently see through the front window that Casey and Morgan are just, like, in the display, tied up. I don't know why these bad guys are being so not subtle or why no one else has seen this. Like, two men just, like, bound and gagged in the window, but maybe they think it's part of the display. Or where the employees of this cafe are? Because there were guys yeah. behind the counter working before, and now it's just empty, so yep. did they... Sit, like was he bad man? like was this like i don't know yeah I don't know. no idea it was a nice cafe though it looked pretty like, yeah it was very nice nice pastries and, yeah. and beverages yeah some nut cake chuck drives the moped through the window but i guess he and sarah jump off at the last minute she pulls out her gun and starts shooting and chuck holds up his fists and flashes they have a seriously super sick fight here where they sort of end up like it kind of looks a little bit like ballroom dancing or tango, but it's also fighting. So they're like holding on to each other, but then Sarah will kick. It's very cool. Uh, very well choreographed. Chuck ends up face to face with Bad Canada Lady and he says, I can't hit a girl. Sarah says, I can, and then decks her. And at this point, my boyfriend, who had been playing Assassin's Creed and for all I knew not paying attention, leapt up from his chair across the room and ran over to me and gave me six high fives. It was a very powerful moment for feminism. <laughs> Wait, was <laughs> were the high fives because Sarah punched this woman or because he did something in Assassin's Creed that he wanted no, to celebrate? No, because Sarah punched this woman. He was like, that's, that, was the, that was a great line from Sarah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can punch. As if you had like any control over Sarah's line, yeah. if you were yep. responsible for it. I wrote, I wrote this episode of Chuck. I don't know if you know that. Oh, then things are going to get very awkward <laughs> at the end of this episode, but continue. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, yeah, they defeat the bad guys, and Juan goes safely into Casey's custody. Before Casey takes him away, Juan steps in to give Chuck and Sarah some advice. He says that in listening to them, he realizes that neither of them really want to go on the run. Both of them kind of want to still be spies. And Chuck and Sarah finally communicate about this, and they decide that, you know, they're, they're not going to quit. And there's another uh, wedding parody kind of thing where she's like, Chuck, do you agree to not stop being a spy with me and he says i do and then she says i do and then i guess they're bound in holy matrimony they're just i would not have pegged uh, sarah and chuck for two people who are obsessed with the concept of marriage evidently <laughs> well uh remember chuck versus the ring there's a lot of marriage in there i don't know i mean it's like i've i feel like you are viewing this as like wow they just started dating and i guess that's fair because like there's a lot like there's a difference between a dating relationship and like a friend relationship and like there's, there's stuff that they're going to have to, like, get used to. But on the other hand, like, it's kind of like they've been in love with each other for so long. Like, Sarah said in the last episode, she's been in love with Chuck, like, since she met him. So that's, like, three years. So it's, like, if you if you think of it that way, they're not really starting from scratch. They could be getting married. It's been three years, you know? You know? That's valid. Yeah, no, it's okay. I, I, I understand that. So back in Castle, Beckman congratulates Casey and Morgan on the success of the mission. Uh, she says that an unlikely pair often produces successful results, which I think should be the uh, tagline of our show. <laughs> Morgan stands up for Sarah and Chuck, but Beckman just brushes him out of the room. Then it's time for Sarah and Chuck's interrogation. She asks them to explain themselves, and Sarah and Chuck both try to stand up for the other one. Sarah says it's her fault. Chuck says it's his fault. Then uh, they decide that they're just going to come clean and tell her the truth. So they hold hands, and Beckman immediately says, release Agent Walker, which made me laugh. I thought that was kind of cute. Beckman doesn't want to know whatever they're about to tell her, but they admit that they're dating. Uh, Beckman says that it's not recommended for them to be together and allow their personal and professional lives to mix, but off the record, it's about damn time. I thought that was cute. <laughs> she, she supported them. She shipped them. 
My next note is Chuck doesn't make it. I don't know what that means. Oh, okay. Chuck passes away. <laughs> yeah, Chuck dies. Uh, Chuck sees a video feed from his apartment and realizes that he missed Ellie and Devin's going away party and also maybe them just going away in general because their apartment looks dark. He rushes home and finds a uh, kind of passive-aggressively left like DVD that says Ellie and Devin's going away party 2010. He pops it into the DVD player and then we just see Ellie making this speech where she says, I never asked Chuck for anything. I only asked him for this. So apparently like Ellie just drunkenly like ragged on her brother to all of their closest friends i don't know so i i can kind of elucidate this a little bit because there was a declassified oh, scene, okay uh-huh. but i don't think i mean if you if you listen to go chuck yourself you know that i this past season i've been trying to incorporate the declassified scenes like where they would fit into the actual episode uh-huh. this declassified scene i could not figure out where it goes <laughs> because there's so many conflicting just things that don't make sense in it because it okay i just couldn't it just didn't make sense because once you find out that they're leaving for the airport after the same night of their party Uh that's when chuck arrives back in america things just don't make sense but anyhow what happens in the scene whenever it takes place is that jeff and lester uh exit the stage and approach uh ellie and devin and ask where chuck is and then they encourage ellie to drown her feelings in alcohol because alcohol makes it easier to not feel anything and ellie says i mean that's true what the hell and then takes a shot and then continues to drink her beer and jeff says i like the way you party girl so that's when that that's it that was basically it so ellie started but then at the same time so they're leaving the stage but then when you see jeff's perform leaving on a jet plane ellie is drinking Seems a yeah. little bit heavier than what she was doing, uh-huh. but the doesn't the timeline like it's dark. It I don't know. So that was why Ellie was drunk was because Jeffster was encouraging her. Well, to... I I mean yeah that I don't feel like we needed that scene to explain that. I understood that she was drinking heavily. Well, I was just trying to help, Aaron. Thank you. Okay. So yeah, so we don't know. Chuck also like fast forwards or rewinds through like the majority of the speech, so we don't see what else. Ellie said, did Devin leave the party early to go like burn his footage from his camera <laughs> to a DVD? Because I'm like, yeah, how I quick assume did so. They, was it just like a copy and paste thing? Because I remember burning DVDs kind of took a little bit of time. Yeah, it did. As Chuck is watching the footage, Ellie comes back in saying she forgot her phone. She's pretty sad and Chuck is pretty apologetic, but she admits that she's not actually mad at him. She's mad at herself for leaving him behind. So he's pretty much just off the hook for missing their party, which kind of sucked. Chuck tells Ellie that she's not leaving him alone, and then Sarah shows up, and Ellie is happy that they're back together. Then we have, like, a kind of a weird cut. Like, it just, like, I was very confused, like, about what was (laughs) happening, because it was, like, Chuck in one place, and then immediately he was somewhere else, but, like, somewhere kind of similar. I was like, is this a mistake? Yeah, you're like, is this uh, the same night? Is this days later? No idea. weeks later? Unclear, but uh, he's in his bedroom, so that's nice. We're seeing that again. And uh, he puts on a record for Sarah. It's the song Feeling Good. And Sarah apparently has never heard it before, even in passing, and says, hmm, I like this. And then uh, then they get together on the bed and they cuddle. And uh, there's like a very long scene of them kind of staring into each other's <laughs> eyes and like touching. And then that's that's it. How did you feel about this? Was this one of the scenes you feel a little uncomfortable or were you into it? I was kind of uncomfortable with this, not because... I just think they do a really good job acting of like having physical chemistry chemistry uh-huh. and embodying uh-huh. that. Cause I was like, uh-huh. Oh, this just seems like two people sharing a really intimate moment. Uh-huh. So I feel kind of weird about watching this. Yeah. I no, I like, I'm not going to give you shit for that. Cause I felt the same way. Okay, I was cool. like, I feel like this is just very private. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a pervert for sitting here watching this. <laughs> yeah. I also like how, Chuck introduces Sarah to feeling good as if it's not like one of the most just, <laughs> famous classic songs of the 20th century yeah he like introduces it like it's this indie deep cut like oh i thought it was gonna be like a cover like i thought it was gonna be like a like a like well first when it started to play i thought it was skinny love and i was like oh god (laughs) but uh it wasn't (laughs) yeah i don't know it was like i mean that's a good song it was a good end to the episode but it was just like very I just feel like Sarah has never, like, seen a car commercial with that song in it. Like, I feel like <laughs> it's in things, Sarah. Right, it's just a part of pop culture. 
It would have yeah. been Sarah should have or Chuck should have played her a record or a CD of all the songs that he listened to when he was sad that she was not. With yeah. Him. Well, what about didn't didn't he play for her like the other? Didn't he have like a sex playlist or something that he played for her before? Didn't that happen? Oh, yeah. It was going to be the entire length of The Suburbs by Arcade Fire. Yeah. Did he end up? No, playing no. That funeral. Her? It was Funeral by Arcade Fire. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, he never played it for her. Okay, so I guess, I feel like he should have played that. And Arcade Fire's music has never been in Chuck at any point. That's a shame. They couldn't get the, the rights, I guess. Yeah, guess not. So that is Chuck versus the Honeymooners. We'll be right back with more Go Chuck Yourself after a brief message from our friends at the Online Warriors podcast. Enjoy! Hey everybody, this is Nerd Bomber here, one of the co-hosts of the Online Warriors podcast. Our weekly podcast started as a way for three friends to keep in touch and discuss their passion for movies, gaming, technology, and entertainment. And since then, we've grown into a fantastic online community. Every Wednesday, we release a new episode discussing the latest nerdy news, and then we go hands-on with our weekly adventures and a fun trivia show. Sound interesting? Check us out on every podcast platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or hit us up at onlinewarriorspodcast.com. Check out the Online Warriors podcast. It was a a delightful podcast. If you are into gaming, pop culture, anything nerd related, if uh, you like us, you'll like them. And if you don't like us, you probably will still like them because they're great. Yeah, it's kind of like I feel like I listen to it. I'm like, this is kind of like NPR, but talking about like games and this is kind of like things. Go chuck yourself, but better. Yeah, it's kind. Of, well, I don't. I don't know. That's kind of insulting. I wouldn't put that on them. Anyhow, check them out. Very, very good show. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Uh, here on this mediocre show, we are moving into a segment that we call Chuck Mary Kill. Wait, 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 wait. I have some information that I want to share with you. Oh, okay. Hold on, I, everyone. I teased uh, my information that I have about Puntoon, and now <laughs> I get to tell you all, all the more. Take it away, Aaron. Great. So the director of this episode, producer of this episode, is Robert Duncan McNeil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has a little quote about Puntoon. So here you go. He says that uh, he was talking about his favorite episode of Chuck. He says, I would have to say Chuck versus the Honeymooners, which is when they were on the train trip to Puntoon, which is a made up town. I have a sign up here in my office, which I'm sure you probably know this, but the writers wanted them to go to Pound Town finally or have sex, as you might say. So to go to Pound Town, we made up this literal town called Puntoon in Switzerland. So they went to Puntoon. What do you think, Chris? <laughs> well, I feel a little bit better that now before when you were being cagey about me saying like, this isn't Switzerland, right? And you're like, maybe. Uh, so it's a fake town. Yeah. And it's named after Pound Town. There's there's a lot of layers here. I think we need to uh, explore everything. Pontoon. <laughs> Does this make you like the episode more, less? Uh, Is this your Mary? Is this your it, kill? It, <laughs> <laughs> it's about on par with how I feel about. I feel like that really sums it up for me. Uh, Fun tune. I'm gonna move there. That sounds like a real Aaron town. <laughs> it does. It sounds like someone like you would thrive there. This director just has like the sign of Puntoon like in his office. It was pretty. I kind of want that sign. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Now carry on. Now that we're equipped with all of the information, we will move into the <laughs> aforementioned Chuck Mary Kill part of the show when we identify one part of this episode we want to marry because we love it, or maybe we just want to go on a weird pre-marriage honeymoon with it, and then yeah, we want to exclusively date it, pretend to be married but then not, and we're gonna do that with one part of the episode, and then we're gonna also kill one part of the episode, like a, uh, I guess like one of the Interpol agents that never showed up. <laughs> yeah. So. Um... I have to stay true to my younger self watching this episode for the first time. I think that Sarah's uh, little uh, excursion into the great state of Texas, um, her little act, I thought, was so charming. Um, much like Juan himself, I was very charmed. I thought that anyone sharing a, a room or a bed with this young Texan woman is <laughs> very lucky. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, so I, I'm going to marry that. Sarah's, Sarah's accent, acting, everything. Okay. Cool. What about you? I really enjoyed the choreography of the fight scene when yeah. Sarah and Chuck were handcuffed together in the cafe mm -hmm. and doing like the whole like double Chuck flashed and they're doing yeah. like the fight dancing. I mm -hmm. thought that was a really creative take on a Chuck fight scene that we haven't really yes. seen before. 
I feel like we have the same kill, um, but maybe maybe not. Oh. But uh, do you want to go first? Um, no, you can go first. Okay. Um, I think that the uh, whole situation with Ellie and Chuck in this relationship was uh, left a lot to be desired. I think that we've seen a lot of plot lines of like, oh, is Chuck going to make this like event with like, is Chuck going to make something that's important to Ellie? And then like, usually he does. But I thought it was an interesting twist that in this case he doesn't. What's that going to mean from their relationship moving forward, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it was a little bit like more dramatic considering that she's going to be like gone to Africa for a while. But like, I just think that a lot of the logistics didn't really like track. I think that it like Chuck's character, he's like had he's placed so much import on his relationship with Ellie and like his relationship with his family. She's his only family that he has left because we don't, don't know where his dad is. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, he's like, it's. It seems out of character that he wouldn't even care, like he wouldn't even call. Like he had the payphone, he could have at least like dropped her a line and said like, Ellie, I'm so sorry, I'm going to miss your party. Um, and then the thing that really bothered me is just like Ellie saying like, no, I was mad at myself. I wasn't mad at you. Like she's allowed to have the agency to be mad at him for missing her party and like not seeing her before she goes away for multiple months, if not years. Like I... I thought that it would be interesting to uh, deal with the repercussions of Chuck, like kind of letting Ellie down, kind of choosing Sarah over his family. But we don't really have that. We just have Ellie being like, I forgive you. And I'm so happy you and Sarah are back together. It just kind of felt like a cop out to me. Mm -hmm. So that's my kill. Yeah, I would agree with that. I felt like the whole thing was unsatisfying because it was like, yeah, she just completely forgave him right away. Yeah. And the kind of impression that I got, I feel like, because I was thinking, like, he doesn't even know that they're going, Chuck does not know that they're going to Africa because they want to escape from the spy stuff. Or Devin, uh -huh. that's why Devin's doing it. Ellie just thinks uh -huh. that she's doing it because, so there's, like, this whole miscommunication that he doesn't even know that he's the reason that they're being yeah. basically driven away. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you said, like, they used to, Chuck put such priority or, you know, so much focus on his family and Ellie before. Yeah. And it almost seems like now that there's all this other stuff going on, that the writers are kind of just like at this point, basically tr wanting to write off Ellie and Devin yeah. completely. Yeah. Because Chuck, they're not even doing anything to like foster the relationship between Chuck and Ellie. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the writers like are similar to Chuck and Sarah and that they can't commit to whether or not they're going to stay yeah. or go. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just kind of awkward because it's very much feels like a a shell of the relationship that in the previous seasons used to yeah. be really important. And I think they can like they could use that. That could be something that they like go into is like Chuck is now like he's, he's placing so much import on Sarah, like in that, their new relationship. Like that's a thing. Sometimes you get in a new relationship and your relationship to your family changes. Like that could be something they could explore and like. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but they have six extra episodes. They could that could have been what those episodes are about. But instead, mm -hmm. it's just like Ellie and Devin are just like leaving and everything's fine, but not fine, but kind of fine. I don't know. Right. Yeah. So although that was part of my kill. So I guess you were you were accurate in assuming that that was that was the case. The other part of it was that I just think that it was kind of glaring the the complete lack of connective tissue from the previous episode, which was Chuck versus the other guy. Mm -hmm. The events of the ep that episode, aside from Morgan joining the team, are really never discussed or mm -hmm. processed in any way. Um, Chuck and Sarah have no problem with the idea of running away, even though that they know that the ring is still at large. And they also are totally fine with Shaw effectively being dead. Is, even though he well, is the ring friend. still at large? They got the director. I mean, I guess there's probably other. So they just think that like everything is good and they're not concerned about the ring at all well yeah i mean i think you have a good point that they're like not dealing with the repercussions of like chuck just killed a man like they don't even mention shot at all and right. i feel like it would have been because like, sarah doesn't they, remember like, chuck shooting him she just thinks that he's gone but chuck is not like grappling with this at all i thought chuck, chuck sarah knows that chuck killed shot she because she says you saved me she knows oh. okay fine sorry i don't know i thought that she didn't know. I guess she didn't know. She knows. Know. It's a it's a thing. Because he, he says something like, in the last episode, I remember he said something like, I understand if you can't be with me because now I've killed a man. And then she's like, no, you saved me. And then it's okay. Okay, fine. So, so that you're makes wrong. It, even, it makes it even weirder that they don't talk about it more, yeah. that they don't. Yeah, they're mind. just so like, 
They're just uh, going to pontoon. That's all they're thinking about. And it just didn't feel grounded to me that they, someone who is, is, they're both intelligent. Sarah is very versed, well-versed with the CIA and all that stuff that she thinks like, yeah, we can just, if we just keep walking, eventually the CIA can't find us or won't want to hunt us down. Or like, you know, Chuck still has the intersect in his head. They, you, you think they're just going to let him be like, well, we can't find him. So he must be, he's just, it's out of our hands. Like, no, they're yep. going to find him. It's still kind of half baked to me. Anyhow, yeah. what's fully baked are the the corn dogs that we provide every week in the scooter scale when we provide anywhere between zero and five corn dogs to this episode to rate it based on our opinions, our thoughts, and the the findings of our conversation here. I go check yourself, Aaron. How many corn dogs would you like to give this episode? I have a feeling that I'm still going to be a little higher than you based on what you are saying here, but I'm going to give it a 3.5, which I believe is pretty pretty low for me here on the season of Aaron. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe this like extra six episodes isn't the season of Aaron. It's hard to say, but uh, I would give it a 3.5 for the reasons I've named. I agree with you that um, it it is weird that like the previous episodes, like because they knew what happened in that episode. Like they knew what happened in the supposed finale like they could have addressed all of that they just chose not to and instead they kind of chose to focus on this little um like this little sex vacation that sarah and chuck are having um and i think that i agree like i i didn't have as much of a problem with the idea of them running away because just it's been a plot line before like that sarah and chuck were planning to run away so like i assumed like they've thought about it whatever even if it doesn't really make sense Um, But the things that I liked about it were just, like, I liked the stuff on the train. I liked the kind of, like, miscommunications hedging between them. I liked that Morgan and Casey worked together. The sets didn't really bother me so much. Like, I mean, there were some parts, like, Chuck on top of the train and everything that, like, were a little weird. But it didn't seem, like, outlandishly, like, bad and fake. It just kind of seemed like they were in this small Swiss town. So, um, yeah, I think that I... Don't think it was one of my favorite episodes. I think it's interesting that this director said it was one of his favorite episodes of Chuck, but I do think it was pretty fun and enjoyable. So I'm going to give it a fairly middle of the road of 3.5. I will give it a 2.75 out of five. Slightly, slightly below three. Um, After so much excitement in the past few episodes, I felt like this was kind of light, but not in the way that I enjoyed it. It wasn't bad. Mm per se but i think it just and i guess it makes sense as a logical follow-up to chuck versus the other guy even if they don't reference it at all because it's like what are you had ended it so many things in that episode like where do you go from there so i i get that this is kind of like a transitional episode Mm -hmm. um and i do appreciate the fact that like the whole metaphor of the entire season is train stations and running away on the train and trying to get on the train and this time they're actually on the train and that equates to them having uh a raucous sex filled <laughs> orgy weekend um, i mean it, it, just just to be clear it's not an orgy it is just two people i think you need more than two people to have an orgy <laughs> unless they're inviting mustache man in with them which i mean they might be <laughs> hey jump in man the water's fine oh god um yeah i don't know i just feel like the the setting was different than most episodes we didn't really go to the buy more at all um, which is no, we really not didn't. necessarily a bad thing, but I just felt yeah. like Chuck and Sarah's relationship and demeanor towards one another is different, which was kind mm-hmm. of, you know, obviously it's evolving in a way, but I just, you know, Casey and Morgan being spies together, that's different. But I also just never felt like there was a credible threat with Juan when we think that he's the bad guy or, uh-huh. or the bad Canadian lady. It just kind of felt like the stakes were pretty low, especially after all of these high stakes ring episodes. And um, like I said, it, it just didn't really feel believable to me that Hmm. Sarah and Chuck would throw everything away. And it never felt like they actually would. It kind of just felt like uh, a kid who says that, like a child's going to say that they're going to run away from home. I'm not going to be a spy anymore. Yeah, they go down the end of the street and you're like, okay, bye. And then they turn (laughs) around and they come back and you're like, yep, that's basically what I felt like in this episode was I'm like, you're not, who are you fooling? Uh, So yeah, I do appreciate that they tried some new things in this episode and I don't know how else you'd really feasibly follow up Chuck versus the other guy, so... Yeah, they they were in a very, like, NBC put them in a difficult position. Yeah, it was, I, I could see how this was a fun episode, and I, I'm glad that you enjoyed it, but I was just kind of like, eh, it feels kind of weak after the, mm. uh, the past few episodes have felt so strong to me. Yeah. Fair enough. 
fair enough. And what else can be said about nothing? How- so let's <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> I like the sounds of that. Uh, I think we'll we'll get off the train here, and uh, this is our. We're stop. not in Puntoon, to be clear. We are not there. That's only somewhere that Sarah and Chuck go. Is a fictional town. If you remember yeah. nothing else about this, Lake Como is real, but Puntoon not right. Not right, not real. <laughs> so tune in to Online Warriors if you want. Show them some love, just like Sarah and Chuck are showing some love to each other on the train. Maybe and don't maybe show. Maybe Mustache Man. Maybe Mustache Man. Don't. Maybe don't show Online Warriors that much love. Don't. Us. Maybe I don't know what they're into. Maybe you can invite them on some kind of weird train ride through the. All right. The, <laughs> the European farm country. There. Okay, I'm being I'm being told by my producer that we need to stop here. So, uh, once again, thank you to Millennium Airlines. Uh, always a pleasure. Aaron, it's been it's been nice seeing you. Thanks. Nice keep, seeing you, too. Keep up the good work. Uh, I've been Chris Gillespie reminding you that food is sexy. And I'm Aaron Arata, letting you know that anything is possible. Choo-choo. 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 Chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga